reading this evening comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Book of Hebrews, chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners is speaking the past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days is spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This far the reading of God's words. The grass withers. Tonight we'll begin a series in the book of Hebrews, and we'll meditate in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And the book of Hebrews is unique in many ways. It's an unknown author, different than many other books. And it's a New Testament book, but filled with Old Testament quotations. It's almost written like a sermon that we have using this golden nuts from the Old Testament and preaching for the church today as a sequence of exposition followed by sections of applications to the church. And it is a divisive book, a book that will examine with precision where is our faith. It's a book that is sharp, that will divide I will mark precisely where our faith lays. The book of Hebrews was addressed to converted Jews who were facing a time of severe persecution. They were facing the threat of death before them. And these were persecuted Christians who were just converted and now were being expelled from their homes, having to flee for their lives. They were losing their houses losing their jobs, their possessions. Some of them were losing their family, friends, and leaving all of that behind. And the author is here writing to them not to lose their hope and to hold fast to Christ. That will be a call that we'll hear throughout the book of Hebrews. And the central problem that they were facing was the problem of apostasy. The lure to go back and embrace the Jewish religiosity, the Jewish religion, the appeal of going back to ceremonial rituals. In some, it is the lure of a more visible, a more visible and legalistic religion. If you do this, you will receive that. That is the that is the the subtle, the subtleness of the lure of a legalistic religion. You do this. You get that. And this is what they were facing. And it's an appeal that all of us face nowadays as well. And perhaps especially in times that we face trials and tribulations in our lives. 
we face this lure of going back to a more legalistic religion. The author to the Hebrews will show how there is no going back to shadows, how Jesus is superior in every possible way. And in him, we have the anchor of our faith, even in times of adversity. We will meditate on how Jesus Christ is God's definite and perfect revelation. And to do so, we'll examine this text under three headings. First, the Word of God. Second, the Word personified. And third, the final Word. The Word of God, the Word personified, and the final Word. So the Word of God. Let's read verse 1. God, who at sudden times and in diverse manners, is spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In many ways, in diverse manners, he spoke through Moses, through Samuel, through Elijah, his prophets. God communicated with his people. That is, God spoke. He revealed himself to his people. In many ways, in many times, he chose to reveal himself. That is, it is God who spoke to them. God who sought his people, not the opposite. God chose to reveal himself to his people. And the reason why God had to speak in many times and in many ways is because revelation is progressive. Revelation was given to mankind in a progressive way. That is, little by little, God was unfolding his redemptive plan to mankind. In many ways... But all of them were God speaking. So in the same way that God spoke to Moses, he spoke through the prophets, he spoke through, through his priests, through his kings, and now through the Son. And what are some of the ways that God spoke? God spoke through dreams, visions. He spoke through prophecies, theophanies, through a burning bush, through a handwriting on a wall. He spoke even through a donkey in the Old Testament. In many ways, God spoke to his people. All of these can be characterized as God has spoken to his people. And we can only learn what we know because God has spoken. There is no other way that we can acquaint knowledge of God apart from his revelation, apart from what he decides to reveal to us. He is the one who speaks. And it is our part to listen, to hear what he has to say to his church in different times, in different manners. And when we come to study God, we are studying something that is different than anything else that we can study in our lives. Everything else is not compared to God. God is not something that we can hold that we can grasp, that we can contain and restrain, that we can take up parts and study individual parts separately. God is not something that can be restrained, not even in time or space. God is not available to us through our sensory experiences. We cannot see Him. We cannot touch Him. So the only way that we can know God 
is through the ways that He reveals to us. He chooses to reveal to us. He's not contained by time. He's not contained by space. We cannot hold Him. We cannot cut Him open as we do with other matters and sciences. God is different than anything else. So when we come to theology, the dynamic, the dynamic is different. Because we are the ones who are under the authority. We, when we are studying anything else, we are the ones in authority who are studying that subject. But in theology, it's different. We are the ones under God's authority. We are the ones who must be submissive to Him and to His Word as He reveals Himself to us. We come to God asking and begging to revelation to make Himself known to us and to dis disclose to us. We depend on Him and on His will to disclose Himself to us. And that has many implications for us as we come to study God, as we come to study what we do here, worship our triune God. We must come to God with the right disposition, attitude, heart. And there are some things to keep in mind as we approach His revelation. First, humility. We are the ones who receive. He is the source. He is the one who speaks and we are the ones who listen. So as we come to God and His revelation, as He has chosen to reveal Himself, we need to be humble before Him, dependent upon Him. Second, we come with reverence, reverence and awe before His revelation. He is something that is greater than us, different than the rest of creation, and there is only one who is awesome, and infinite, and that is God. So we must come with reverence, knowing that we are studying something that is far greater than anything else, far superior. There are only two things in the universe, creatures and the Creator. And He is outside and completely different than anything else, so we must come with reverence and awe. And third, we come with fear. In recognition that we depend on Him completely, we must recognize our sinfulness and show gratitude in face of His grace. Everything that we have, we have received from Him. And we must come before Him filled with fear, knowing that He is the source of all and the God of all. And finally, we come to Him knowing that He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He's not simply a God, but He is a good God who can be trusted, who gives us better than what we deserve. So as we come to study His revelation, God's Word that as it is given to us, we can know that He is true. And what He has revealed to us is also tr true. We have a God who cannot lie. And He's trustworthy. If we come to God defiantly, we shouldn't expect anything because we haven't learned the first lesson that He is God. He is the Creator and we are creatures. And we own obedience to Him. We must come to Him in the right terms. 
He is the God who speaks, who has spoken so many times in the past to the fathers by the prophets, and now speaks to us. He has chosen to speak to us, and we must submit to His will. We must come humble and meek before Him, before His Word, before His revelation to us, ready to submit to His will. That means that we cannot demand anything from Him. Even though in prayer we can bring back His promises to Him, we are not in the place of demanding anything from God. We don't have the rights of pointing our fingers to Him and demanding anything from Him. We don't even have the rights of revelation. He has chosen to give to us what we know. So we don't have the rights to demand from Him. But by His will, by His grace, He has given us promises that we can now bring back to Him. And God didn't simply speak through visions, dreams, prophets, burning bushes, angels. He most specially spoke through His Son, the Word personified. Verse 2, Hath in these last days is spoken unto us by His Son. And here we already see some continuity and discontinuity with what comes before in verse 1. First we see some continuity because it is still God who speaks. God spoke through the fathers by the prophets and now He speaks by His Son. But it's still God who speaks. It is His initiative to speak to His people. It is His authority to speak to us. So we see the same kind of continuity. But on the other hand, we see some very important discontinuity as well. First, we have a temporal discontinuity. He spoke in time past, verse 1. He spake in diverse manners in time past. But now he speak in these last days. In these last days. The author is here using the famous word eschaton. The last days, the latter days, the end of times. He is speaking in a final and definite way. He spoke in the past this way. But now the way that he is speaking to us is final. Do not expect further revelation apart from this one. This is the final ones, the final revelation in these last days, the latter days, there will be no other way. The older way is obsolete, as he will explain in chapter 8, verse 13. This is the final way. But more important, we see a discontinuity of mediators. He spoke by the fathers and prophets, Multiple mediators, prophets, priests, kings. But now, He has spoken to us by His Son. The words of the Old Testament were not false. They were true. All that the Lord has said through this man were true. Came to realize. But as a commentator say, they must be interpreted in light of the fulfillment realized in Jesus Christ. 
Now we have the fullness of the revelation in Jesus Christ. He spake in many ways through his servants, prophets, priests, kings, by the fathers, but now by his son. It's a complete different level. It's much greater. Before he spoke through finite men, finite creatures like you and me, but now by his son. Very God of very God. It's far greater, far better. And when verse 2 says, in these last days, it is saying that there is no space for expecting anything else after this. There is no need for more clarification after Christ comes. That's it. The revelation is complete. Do not expect that you need anything else. All that you need to know for your salvation is made clear here in the scriptures that you hold in your hands. We are in the last days. As it appears in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. The day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So they they were living in the time of Pentecost. The fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Joel. They were living the latter days, the last days. The fulfillment of the prophecies as the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And then in 1 Peter 20, 21. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was manifested in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up. That is Jesus from the dead. And gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we are living these last days. Since Christ came, completed his work of death, resurrection, and ascension into the right hand of God the Father, we are in the last days. Christ is now speaking to his church once and for all in a final way. We are in the last days. But in these last days, finality, he has spoken, perfect tense, complete, decisive, to us by his son. A whole other category. By the very person of the son incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, made flesh and dwell among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father. That is the ultimate revelation that we have in the person of Christ. It is a sin to say that God has spoken through Christ. God has chosen to speak through Christ. But I'm going to find another way to him. It is pride of thinking that the creature can be smarter than the creator. Yes, God has chosen to reveal himself through the Son as it is revealed in his holy scripture. But I will find my way to God, myself. I will find my way to get to know God some other way through my experiences, through things that I see around, 
It's pride. It is the blasphemy of saying that you are the one who seeks God and not God who seeks you. God who speaks to you, who seeks you. Do you want to have communion with God? Do you want the same God of the fathers who spoke by the prophets to speak to you nowadays? By His Son? Here it is. Pick it up and read. He has revealed Himself. He has chosen to reveal Himself this way, through His Word. It is pride to think that we can search Him, that we can find God some other way, but not through the means that He has given us. And as the author starts speaking of the Son, the moment that the author starts speaking of Jesus Christ the Son, he breaks into worship, into a Christological frenzy, a moment of excitement as he is expounding Christ, who Christ is. And he gives here, between verses 2 and 3, seven Christological statements. Seven Christological statements that I want us to briefly consider. First, he's called the heir of all things. A quote from Psalm 2. As in Psalm 2, he says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Psalm 2, verse 8. As God the Father speaks to his Son and gives the whole earth as his possession, everything is placed under his feet. He is the expected king from the line of David. The expected king from Psalm 2, Psalm 110, who would come and sit upon the throne and never leave. The scepter that would never depart from the tribe of Judah. Second, he is called the creator of the universe. Verse 2, by whom also he made the worlds. He is the promised king, son of David, human. But not just that. He's more than that. He is the creator of the universe. And the, the word here for worlds is ages. He's the creator of space and time, the creator of all things. Before the universe began, he was. He was there. He created the world. He created time and space and everything. He is the creator. He is God. Third, he is called the brightness of God's glory. Just like rays of light are for the sun, the, lights, the, the light that comes from the sun, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the active outshining of God's glory. And this is connected to what comes next as well. The perfect image of God. For the perfect image of God. Jesus is the express image of His person. The Son reveals perfectly the nature and character of God. He is the perfect revelation. There could be no better revelation than God Himself. It's like a, the, the imagery here is like a perfect Perfect wax, wax imprint, impression 
of a royal signal ring in the wax. So this is Jesus that perfectly gives the reality of who God is, His character, who He is. He is the perfect image of God. And this sequence of God as creator, as image of God, reminds us the famous words of John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Same thing. In different words, but same thing. This this man, this God-man, Jesus, is the God who created the universe. Is the perfect revelation. He is the Word that was with God in the beginning. Five is the one who sustains the universe by His Word. Verse three, and upholding all things by the Word of His power. This is important. Christ is not only God ontologically, that is, by virtue of who He is, but also economically, by what He does, by the work that He does, that He executes. He is altogether God. And this world, the world that we live in, is not run by forces of nature, by random things, but by the Son. Paul says in Colossians 1.17, And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. This is your God. This is the perfect revelation from God, who sustains the universe by the power of His hand. Six is also the one who has made purification for sins. In this sentences that he's given here in verses 2 and 3, he's really packing in things that he will unfold throughout the book of Hebrews. He's just giving us a taste of things that he will talk much more about in the future. In this case, he's speaking that the Son is the one who accomplishes the work of atonement and who offers a once and for all sacrifice. He purges all sin. He is the perfect sacrifice who purges all sin. And after finishing his work, he is, number seven, the one who sits at the right hand of God. He is then exalted as king over all, seated upon his throne that is in heaven. He exalted before, before the whole earth, the whole universe to see that he is king over all. And the author is alluding here to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, again, is going to be a very important psalm throughout the book of Hebrews. Almost as if this book was an exposition of Psalm 110. He alludes to this verse five times. Here in verse 2, then in verse 13, then in chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 10, 12, and 13, and chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus has accomplished his work, and is now exalted as ruler over the universe. And it is because of all these, all these characteristics, all that Christ is and all that Christ has done, that he is 
Not only the word personified, but also the final word. Christ as the final word. It is precise, precisely by being who he is, very God of very God, that he is the final word. After all that the author has said, all these characteristics about Christ is natural that he will come to the conclusion that he is far greater than the angels. He is the God-man, much better, far greater, far better than the angels. Verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now the author is introducing another big theme in the book. That Jesus is better. Christ is better. This word will come up over and over again. Jesus is better. Believers in Christ have a better hope. Chapter 7, verse 19. A better covenant. Chapter 7, 22 and 8, verse 6. Better sacrifices. 9, 23. A better possession. 10.34, a better resurrection, 11.35, a better blood than Abel's, chapter 12.24. Jesus is better. The author wants to make crystal clear throughout the book that Jesus is better. There's no way you could feel tempted to go back to the shadows after Christ has come. He is greater, He's better, He's more excellent, He's perfect, He's final. The Muslims, the Muslims nowadays, they have a famous expression. Perhaps you have already heard, Allahu Akbar, Allah Akbar, which is often translated into English as God is great. But the Arabic expression here is really, God is greater. God is greater, greater than anything else. True. The book of Hebrews is going to make clear for us that Jesus Christ is better, that Jesus Christ is greater than anything else. He is the apex, the climax of revelation. There's no way we could go back to shadows in the past, or no way we could... Wish for anything else after him. Because Jesus Christ is better. This is why Hebrews is so divisive. Why Hebrews will create a sharp distinction between Christianity and many other religions. Because it's going to make clear. Christ is better than what came before. Than what could come after. He is better. He is unique. Is more excellent. Only Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. No other. And as Jesus is the heir of all things, as it says in verse 2, he inherits the most excellent name of all. Although the angels had a special place in creation, powerful creatures, Fearful creatures. But even so, not even the angels were worthy of receiving this title, of receiving this name. Not even the angels could claim the name of Son. 
Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. The one who reigns over the universe is no other but Jesus Christ, the Son himself. Only Jesus represents the, fa the Father exactly. And because of this, he is the ultimate revelation. This is why Jesus can boldly claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, had Jesus just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, many today would say, Amen. But he can say, No man come unto the Father but by me. Because he is the ultimate revelation, the final and the only way to God. Jesus Christ and no other. No other way that came before. No other way that we could ever imagine. After him. Jesus, by his complete work, death, and resurrection, now sits as God-man, exalted as the Son, King over all. He is the King Supreme, the only Almighty. And perhaps all that is said of Jesus in these verses, these few verses of the book of Hebrews, and all the rest of Hebrews, matter of fact, is a disappointment to many in our days and times. That is because the modern culture of our days, the broad evangelical culture of our times, want a Jesus or a type of Messiah that is inclusive, friendly, or a frail baby in the manger, on the manger, a good teacher, Almost a sort of emotional guru. Anything but not very God of very God. See, he is far greater, far better, and he is final. If Jesus was anything less than very God of very God, he would not be able to meet our needs, our longs, our pains, our sufferings to save us from our sins. And that is why before going to challenge and comfort these persecuted Christians, the author to the Hebrews wants to make sure that they know who Jesus is. He wants to remind them before he gets into the application to their needs, he wants to remind them who Jesus is. The ultimate Revelation. God spoke to our fathers, and He speaks to us now. Both ways, He is speaking, but now in a final way. Just like a, a sunrise that comes, that brings clarity over what is around us. So is revelation, it is progressive. It was all there, but we couldn't see properly. But now that the sun is risen, we can see with clarity. It's not that the, the new words need to correct what came before, 
but rather it was all there and it's just magnifying we lack the light to see what was there in his words from the beginning and as the sun rises you begin to see and understand what is around you for example as you read Genesis 1 the trinity is already there let us create man in our image but it's veil it's hidden in some sense and as we come to John 1 then it's made crystal clear as a sun rises we can say yes now I see the revelation of God is progressive until it reaches its apex in Christ Jesus Christ is the sun at its highest the brightness of the glory of God it can't it cannot get any clearer than this do not expect any further revelation because it can't get any clearer than this to want another word nowadays is anti-christ it's an anti-christ impulse to seek for revelation outside of what he has given us is anti-christ all the mosaic means were foreshadowing. That is, they were pointing forward to the coming of Christ. And the impulse to find another way to God is an impulse to bypass Christ. Now that He has come to try to find God another way, it's an attempt to bypass Jesus Christ. Impulse to find another word is negating that God's word is final and sufficient. The Son is superior to all other previous modes of revelation. Jesus is the ultimate revelation. We began by seeing how the early Christians were being persecuted, were facing severe persecution and the danger of death, and they were facing the Danger or the temptation of falling back into Judaism. However, already here we can see that after the more excellent is presented, it would be impossible to return to anything else, anything less. After God's ultimate revelation, Jesus Christ is manifested and dwell among us. So how could we go back to shadows? Why did the author emphasize the superiority of Christ over angels? Or what was in the mind and hearts of his readers for him to do so? These are things that we will unfold as we explore the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is divisive. The book of Hebrews will be a scandal in a mosque. It, will, it would be a heresy in a synagogue. And it is misrepresented in the Catholic Church. The book of Hebrews shapes in a sharp way what is Christianity as we have today. Sets apart Christianity for, from anything else. Showing that there is no going back. Showing that there is nothing better 
but Christ alone. The book of Hebrews will hold Christ high, very high, sitting on the throne from the very beginning, from the get-go. Christ is sitting on his throne, superior. And let me finish with this application. It is easy for us to profess that Jesus is the ultimate revelation. And that the word of God is supreme, is the supreme authority. It's very easy to be sitting here at church and profess this today. But to live a life as it wasn't. It's easy to come to church on Sundays and say it is true. I believe the word of God as manifested in the person of Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation. Christ is king. But you live a life as if he wasn't. It's easy to be a Christian on Sundays and to live as an un-Christian on the weekdays. It is one thing to acknowledge these things with our minds. And there is another thing to really submit to it. To offer our lives in submission to this reality, to this revelation that was given to us. We can acknowledge all this, but obedience is the acknowledgement that Christ wants the most from us. He wants obedience from His church. That is the confession that we must possess. That is the confession that is both in our lips and in our deeds. To offer a life in submission to this King, to the very God of very God that has come and completed the work of redemption for us. The book of Hebrews set forth Jesus Christ as the true and perfect King and the true and perfect High Priest, the fulfillment of all. And I hope that this book will shape you as well. That this book will shape you so that Jesus Christ can be all in all in your life as well. For He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Remember, perhaps days will come that we will be in days much closer to the original audience of the letter to the Hebrews than we can imagine. Perhaps the lure of going back to legalism will be upon our lives in a way that we can't imagine. A way to get out persecution. A way to bypass a shortcut. We don't know what is coming. So we must know who Christ is so that we never be tempted to fall back or to seek anything else. Hope that this book will shape us in a way that Christ becomes all in all, in all of our lives, the high and exalted high priest through the veil that we can come closer to Him. And He becomes the way, the truth, and the life of our lives. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord our God, we come before Thee, Lord, confessing that Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation and we couldn't ask for anything else. The very Word was made flesh and dwell among us, and we beheld His glory, God. Oh, Lord, it's far greater than we could have ever imagined that the Creator of all would take the form of a servant and fulfill the work. Redemption accomplished and applied by Him. What a good news, Lord, it is this gospel that we hold. So, Lord, as we dig the message of the book of Hebrews, unveil our eyes to give glory to Christ with our whole hearts, to magnify and glorify Him and free us from the temptation of leaving a legalistic religion or wishing for anything else but Him. Let all the glory be given to Him today and forevermore, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the brightness of Thy glory. And we long, Lord, for the day that we will see Him face to face. So prepare us as Church of Christ for that day. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen.